Daniel Craig's last film as 007 is hitting theaters now, and a movie that'll have you saying, Goodbye, Mr. Bond. Hello everybody, I'm Dan Merle here with my review of No Time to Die, the 25th James Bond movie, or at least in the Eon series. I'm a bit of a Bond head, so you're going to see some James Bond references uh, in this review. No Time to Die is directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga, who shares screenplay credit with Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge in her first feature screenwriting credit. Due to the pandemic, No Time to Die is also opening six years after the last James Bond film, Spectre, back in 2015. That ties the longest gap ever between James Bond films with License to Kill and GoldenEye, which came out in 1989 and 1995. Daniel Craig is also the longest tenured James Bond. His 15 years consecutively as 007 eclipsed Roger Moore, who spent 12 years in the tux. No Time to Die picks up right after the end of Spectre, which saw James Bond walk away from his life as a secret agent to settle down with Leah Sidhu's Madeline Swan after defeating his adoptive brother Ernst Stavro Blofeld. And a lot of people thought at the time that this might have been Daniel Craig's swan song. There was a lot of debate about whether he was going to come back, whether there was going to be another James Bond film. Ultimately, it was decided that he would return for this one last ride as the Fast and the Furious franchise keeps promising us but never quite delivers. Of course, getting out of the spy life isn't quite as easy as boosting a classic Aston Martin out of the Q branch and Bond soon finds himself thrown back into international intrigue that involves a virus, betrayal, and a mysterious stranger named Safin with ties to Madeline's past. Among those returning are Ray Fiennes as M, Naomi Harris as Moneypenny, Ben Wishaw as Q, and Christoph Waltz as Blofeld, and new to the fold are Rami Malek as Safin, Ana de Armas as a CIA ally named Paloma, and Lashana Lynch as a fellow MI6 agent who finds herself challenged by Bond's return to the fold. Now, as a James Bond fan, the Daniel Craig series has been frustratingly up and down. I count Casino Royale and Skyfall as two of the very best James Bond films ever made, but I count Quantum of Solace as one of the worst, and I count Spectre as a frustrating, uneven mess. And so I went into this a little bit nervous because being hyped as Daniel Craig's swan song, I wanted him to go out as James Bond on a high note, and I'm happy to report that he does go out on a high. This is not not one of those Valley James Bond movies, although it doesn't quite hit the same peaks as some of Craig's earlier James Bond films. It may be hard to remember now, but back when Craig was announced as the new James Bond back in 2005, he was not a popular casting choice with everybody. People didn't think he looked the part, but I think one of the reasons that he's won everyone over is that he was never really replacing anybody as James Bond. From the very beginning, from the first scene of Casino Royale, it was made very clear that this version of James Bond is his own spy. He's not a version of anybody that came before him. Casino Royale was a James Bond origin film, and every Craig film since then has built on the character established in that movie while still hitting the same required beats in the James Bond mythos. When you look back at the actors who have preceded Daniel Craig in the role, I would also argue that there's never really been a successful goodbye for anybody involved with the James Bond role. You had Sean Connery who 
left and then came back, but Diamonds Are Forever, his last film, is not one of James Bond's best. Of course, you have the one-off nature of George Lazenby, a really solid James Bond film, but he never really got to follow up that role. Roger Moore visibly aged out of the part by the time he was done with the role, and 1985's View to a Kill was ridiculous, partly because he did not look the part anymore of the super spy. Timothy Dalton's reign was ended by a lawsuit after two mediocrely received films, and Pierce Brosnan had the misfortune of being an old-school Bond in a Jason Bourne world. No Time to Die gives us something that we may not have ever really gotten in a Bond movie, closure. And every single event in all of Daniel Craig's previous movies, even though it has not exactly been the smoothest ride, has led to what happens in this film, which is why I would advise you to know at the very least what's happened in Spectre, the last James Bond movie, but you should really go back to Casino Royale and familiarize yourself with what's been going on with the Craig Bond. I'm sure there's lots of explainers and stuff. I actually took my mom to see this movie, uh, and uh, she hadn't seen the previous movies. She she watched some of these explainers on YouTube and they were able to catch her up on what was going on. So I don't think you need to marathon all of these movies, but I do think that it's a good idea to know what's been going on or you might be just a little bit lost. Craig himself has been consistently great in this role. Even if the James Bond movies he's in haven't been good, I've never had a complaint with Daniel Craig as 007. He brings a weariness and a hurt to Bond that we haven't really seen before, at least not on the surface. He's explored the darker depths of the character that we only got brief glimpses of uh, from previous actors. We know 007 as the eternal secret agent. He never falters, he never fails, he never retires, he just just comes back in a new and improved body. But what these movies have explained and what we're culminating to here are the consequences, the consequences of being the agent that will never stop. The only reason I wouldn't call this movie a high note for Daniel Craig is that he's put in so many other great performances in James Bond films. I will say that this is up to the par of his best performances in the best films of the franchise. The supporting cast also delivers. Rafe Fiennes as M continues to find himself at the head of a division that's rapidly becoming obsolete. Moneypenny and Q play their customary support roles, although one of my complaints about the series in general is that I don't think that either Ben Wishaw or Naomi Harris have benefited from the kind of clever writing that their predecessors in the roles of Q and Moneypenny have enjoyed in the decades previous to these Bond films. They seem more like perfunctory characters that are there just to help Bond. There's been little flashes and glimpses of it here and there, but I wish we could have gotten a little bit more fun out of these two, and who knows, maybe they'll come back in another movie and we'll get another shot at it. Going back to Spectre, Leia Sidhu had a very tough role. She was introduced in that film, and by the end of the movie, you had to believe that she was the woman that James Bond would give everything up for and basically commit to a life of monogamy. Now, I did not buy this back in 2015. It was one of my bigger complaints about the film. However, this movie is able to patch up some of those bad feelings, and you at least understand why James Bond would have made this sacrifice. They're able to go a little bit deeper into their relationship, and also the pitfalls, as we've said, of the gentleman spy getting into this monogamous relationship and essentially retiring. We start to understand what the dangers of that and the fact that you can quit being a spy, but that doesn't always mean that being a spy quits you. We see a lot of these old habits that can't quite die hard with James Bond and how they affect this new relationship. 
We also meet two new secret agents in this movie, Ana Diarmas and Lashana Lynch. While Diarmas has less screen time, her scenes with Daniel Craig really sparkle. There's a there's a great energy with it, and it could have been that they were both fresh off of filming Knives Out together. Lashana Lynch has to carry a lot in this film. As I mentioned, she is a part of MI6 who is sort of displaced by James Bond coming back, and she is a more modern agent. She kind of looks down on this old man coming in and trying to encroach on her turf. And that leaves Rami Malek, who is really good in his role as Safin, but because there's so much other stuff going on in the movie, and because he stays in the shadows, shrouded in mystery for so long, he often seems like a bit of an afterthought. He does a really good job of doing the Bond villain thing, of balancing camp and creepy. We all know that he can hit these certain beats, but he's also very aware of what role he's in. He has the cool Bond villain look. He's got all of the different ingredients. I really just think that there's so many different things that the movie wants to do here that he's not able to get a role as big as he deserves. And unfortunately, there's no time in No Time to Die for everyone to get what they deserve. And that's partly because in addition to all these characters, you have everything else that you would expect from a James Bond movie. Car chases, wonderfully executed practical stunt work, still very impressive. Exotic locations, beautiful women, martinis, one-liners, secluded island villain lairs full of evil labs. It's almost as if there was a checklist to make sure that in Craig's last Bond movie, he was able to experience everything that the James Bond franchise had to offer. And a lot of this stuff is great, classic Bond stuff. This leads to No Time to Die's biggest weakness, and that is its length. It is over two hours and 40 minutes long. That in itself is not bad, but it feels as long as it is. And I think it's probably a little bit longer than it should be. There's some stuff that I think could have been cut. For example, the scenes between Bond and Christoph Waltz's Blofeld have a great energy to them, but they also seem like an obligatory bow on a holdover plot from the previous film. There's one or two double crosses, too many, and oftentimes they seem to kind of throw the brakes on the plot for a while when we really should be moving forward. If Craig and the the rest of the cast weren't as great as they are, then this movie might have felt interminable, but because they are great, it actually just feels really, really long. I know that we want to have this big, long goodbye for Daniel Craig. I know that we want to make it feel epic, but I think this script could have gone through some revisions, and you could have had some very painful cuts to make, but I think they would have been cuts that ultimately would have made No Time to Die a better movie. At the core of this movie, though, is a genuine love for the character of James Bond. And that's a love that we've always felt from the producers. James Bond is a family business and has been for decades. But it's not always a love that we feel from the actors. Every actor that's played Bond has had a love for the character. But sometimes it just doesn't quite come through. Here in this movie with Daniel Craig, you really do feel how much he cares for James Bond and wants to put all of his heart and soul and body into making this movie. And it's kind of ironic because back in 2015 when Spectre was coming out, Daniel Craig was derided for interviews he gave where he said he'd rather slash his wrists than play James Bond again. But that was also right when the movie had stopped filming. I get why he was reluctant to return. Here, he is 100% committed and you can tell 
when an actor is committed to a movie role. He has the kind of commitment to James Bond in this movie that we see from Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible franchise, that we see from Ryan Reynolds in the Deadpool movies. Not just a guy who's there doing a job, but a guy who actually cares about the character that he's playing. And I think it's partly because this movie actually gives James Bond something to do. It's not just another adventure to bookend the next adventure. We are telling a story here. James Bond has a full story arc. And when we look at the Daniel Craig years, they are going to be unique amongst the James Bond films because they are going to be one story from beginning to end. And I think that's why they're really going to grow in estimation over time because they're going to stand out. It's not just a series of standalone performances and standalone villains. This villain's great. This one's not so great. This plot was great. This one wasn't. These are interconnected in one way or another. Quantum of Solace, of course, being the weak link, that movie feels like the writer's strike compromise that it is. But inside great spy movies, there's also some great storytelling across these five films. And this finale feels earned. As for what a post-Craig James Bond is going to look like, the film doesn't really betray any hints as to which way the franchise might go. They could really go any one of several different ways. However, whomever takes over the role of James Bond, whether that's in three years or 30 years, I really don't envy them having to follow Daniel Craig because he has blazed a new trail in what the character of James Bond can be and what the actor playing James Bond can do. And it really makes me wonder, even as a big Bond fan, we always have that promise that James Bond will return at the end of every Bond movie. For the first time, I'm really thinking, but should he? And it's not because this movie isn't good, it's because this movie is good. And at some point you have to wonder, how are they going to top it without it just feeling like a retread? Hopefully they'll be able to figure it out. I love James Bond movies. I want to keep seeing James Bond movies if they have good ideas, if they can keep them fresh. But I don't want to just see rehash after rehash because they feel obligated to make these films. Daniel Craig has put an enduring mark on the role and on the franchise. He gets the finale he deserves in No Time to Die. And it gets my recommendation as a movie fan, as a Bond fan. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's a great action movie. It's a great spy thriller. It's got some laughs. It's got some heart. It's got drama. You name it. It's got it. Thank you so much for watching my review here on YouTube. And also don't forget that I have now launched my new podcast channel. You can find this review as well as all of my other reviews on that channel. And in the very near future, Charts with Dan will be released on the podcast channel. Every piece of programming from the channel, including the live show, which will be resuming at some point. We're still working out some stuff with all my movies, but that will also be resuming as an audio podcast before the end of the year. We're still doing a lot of fun new things here and we'd love to have you join us. So please check out the description below for all of the links to all of the different platforms where you can find the new podcast channel. We'd love to have you join us there as well. And stay tuned here to the channel because I'll still be doing reviews of the big movies coming out. We've got Halloween Kills next week. We have Dune coming up. Last Night in Soho, which I can't wait to see. I'll be reviewing all of those right here. And I'll also be doing a wrap-up of What If Season 1. They just ended that. I'm going to get that together hopefully this week or this weekend uh, and give you my thoughts on all of those episodes. I just did a review for Squid Game on Netflix. I'm always looking for something fun and new and unique to review uh, on the streaming channels. It's just fun talking about movies and TV and all of this stuff and I'm glad you're here with me. Thank you so much for watching. Please stay safe out there and I'll see you next time. Bye.